I did what I did, but that was before love came to town. When love comes to town, the town gets changed. God's love changes lives. During this season of Advent, we've been looking at uh, several people in the Scripture who, because of their encounter with love, because of their encounter with Jesus Christ, they were transformed. So we talked about Mary Magdalene, this woman who was tormented by seven demons. She met Jesus, he freed her from her torment, and her life couldn't have changed anymore. She became a pillar in that community of disciples. The scripture says that she funded Jesus' ministry out of her own means. She was last at the cross. She was first at the tomb. She was the very first one to, to witness the resurrected Lord. Jesus appeared to her. She was the very first one to proclaim the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead. Who would have ever thought that this woman, tormented by seven demons, that God would use her in such miraculous ways? It was because she had an encounter with Jesus, as Jesus changed her life. Last week, we talked about the, the leper, this man who had this condition that for him was a living death. He carried his death sentence around with him everywhere he went. He approached Jesus, and he said, if you are willing you can cleanse me. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean. And with that, this man was suddenly given a hope and a future. And so today we're going to continue this series and we're going to turn to another person. We're going to turn to a notorious sinner, a notorious sinner with a capital S. This was a tax collector, a man named Matthew. Join me as we pray for the the reading of God's word. Father God, uh, we recognize that you have the power to change lives. You have the power to bring hope where there is no hope. You have the power to accomplish what to us seems impossible. And so we pray that you would transform us by the power of your word and by the person of your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So our passage comes from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to jump in at verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That's it. Two very short sentences. Follow me, Matthew got up and followed him. Now, adding a little bit of intrigue to this story is the fact that Matthew is the one writing this. So this is essentially Matthew giving an account, giving his testimony of how it was that he came to know Jesus. He writes it in the the third person. He could have just easily said, Jesus saw me and said to me, follow me, and I got up and left my booth and followed him. Matthew is sharing his testimony. 
One of the things that I've observed about testimonies over the years is that as time passes, testimonies can become like, like fish stories. You know, the fish, after some time passes, it seems to get bigger and, and bigger. And this can happen with testimonies too. They become more incredible and more fantastic and, and, and bolder and, and bigger But that hasn't happened with this story. Matthew doesn't embellish this story at all. It's it's two simple sentences. He said to me, follow him, and I got up and I followed him. That's his testimony. That's his story. It's an unremarkable story, but it's a story that led to remarkable, astounding, incredible transformation. I know a few people, and, and I imagine you do, and maybe you're one of them, who, who have a remarkable conversion story. You have a, a remarkable testimony, or you know someone who did. I had a, a friend in college who hated Christians, and he got in a Bible study for the sole purpose of disparaging the Bible and making fun of Christians, but it backfired because he met Jesus and fell in love with Jesus and became an on-fire a missionary for Christ. I had another friend when I was living in Washington, D.C. She was a student at George Washington University. She was from Taiwan. Before she came to the university, her parents warned her about Christians. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't become a Christian by all means. But she came here and she met some Christians. And she read the Bible and, and she started to fall in love with with Jesus, but she wanted to honor her parents, and so she resisted and resisted until one night Jesus appeared to her in a dream, just like he appeared to Paul, and she gave her life to Christ. Those are remarkable stories, stories that I love to tell. You want to hear my story? I grew up in a church. There's never a time where I can remember not believing in God. In high school, someone shared Christ with me, and it felt like I was hearing it for the first time, and I gave my life to Christ. That's more of a Matthew type of story. It's not remarkable. It's a story of probably a lot of us here grew up in church. It's, we've always known God. We've always had a, a conviction in God. We gave our life to Christ at some point. The point is not the, the story. It's not how it happened. The, the point is that it happened. That it happened. Mary would say her story was having these demons And Jesus came and set her free from from all this demonic oppression. And she became one of his his core community. The leper's story would be a story of having no hope. And he met Jesus, and, and with just a word and a touch, suddenly he had a hope and a future. Matthew's story would be sitting in a tax booth. Everybody hates him. Jesus said, follow me. I got up and followed him. The common denominator in all of these stories is transformation. When we meet Jesus, Jesus changes our life. When love comes to town, the town gets changed. Matthew, the tax collector, becomes Matthew, the disciple. Matthew, the tax collector, becomes Matthew, the evangelist, who writes one of four Gospels that we are still reading today, that we are studying, that we are are memorizing, he writes what would be considered the Word of God. 
God uses him, inspires him to write his holy word. This is Matthew, the tax collector, who's met Jesus and his life has changed. If we were to travel back in time and go to Capernaum, where Matthew was located, and tell somebody in Capernaum that that man sitting in the tax booth who's extorting everyone, that traitor, that most unlikable an irredeemable person, that God's going to choose him, that Jesus is going to choose him to be part of his core team. If we were to tell people in Capernaum that, they would think we are absolutely nuts. Some of you have been watching The Chosen, uh, and if you have, you've been introduced to the character Matthew, and uh, there's a really good chance that Matthew's one of your favorite characters. He has become one of my favorite characters. The, uh, the producers of The Chosen cast Matthew in a, a, as a very sort of sympathetic character. Uh, they make him autistic. And so he, he's, he's really good with numbers. Uh, he's really likable. He, he's incredibly honest like incapable of lying, almost to a fault. And of course, he's rejected by everyone. He's rejected by his family. He's treated terribly by all of the community members. We find ourselves feeling sympathetic for him. But if we were the people living in Capernaum in real life, I don't think we would be so sympathetic. I think Matthew might disgust us. We might really dislike Matthew. In fact, we would probably hate Matthew. You see, he became a tax collector by bidding for the job. The job went to the highest bidder. And so he paid money for the right to tax his people. Why would he pay money for such a despicable, despised job? Well, it's simple. It's because it would make him rich. He was already rich. This would make him richer. To be hated and scorned by his own people was a price he was willing to pay for the spoils of the job. The way it worked, as I understand it, is that Matthew would send the taxes to Rome in advance for the community that he served, and then throughout the year, he would tax people on goods and services to recuperate what he had sent to, to Rome. We always call them tax collectors. They were actually thought of as tax farmers. In the way that, same way that a farmer raises a crop, a crop of corn, a crop of wheat, a tax farmer would raise a crop of taxes. And because he was both the assessor and the collector, he had the ability to assess at any rate he wanted and tax at any rate he wanted, so he never had a bad crop. His was the most reviled of professions. He was the most irredeemable of people. Like the leper who we read about last week, whose disease was beyond cure, this was a man whose character was beyond redemption.
Matthew had the power to rob them with Rome's blessing, and, and there was a, a thing they could do about it. There was no uh, court of appeals. There was nobody that they could go to and object. They couldn't file a grievance. As long as Matthew kept the funds funneling to Rome, he pretty much had a license to print money. In the Jewish world, there were sinners, and then there were sinners. Sinners with a, a capital S and sinners with a, a small s. Matthew was a sinner with a capital S. Tax collectors and sinners, you see them linked all the time in the Scripture. It's almost like those two are, are inter interchangeable. They're synonymous, synonymous with one another. Matthew was the, the type of sinner for whom there was no hope. He was the type of sinner who would have been described as having gone too far. He had sold his soul. He had joined the dark side. And then, one day, he met Jesus. Or to be more precise, one day, Jesus met him. Jesus called him out, and everything for Matthew changed. Unlike the leper that we read about last week who, out of his own initiative, approached Jesus, Jesus sought Matthew out, and it wasn't because of something in Matthew. It wasn't because Jesus looked in and saw a soft heart. He saw a good man. He chose Matthew because of what was in Jesus. Jesus didn't see him as too far gone. He didn't see him as someone who was irredeemable. Jesus didn't think that the darkness in Matthew's heart was incapable of being penetrated by the light of his love. His soul may have been sold, but Jesus was prepared to buy it.
You can imagine the response of the disciples with Jesus that day when he stopped and he looked into the booth and he said to the notorious sinner, the most irredeemable of all people, follow me. They must have looked at Jesus and thought, what in the world is going on? I mean, they were certainly humbled that Jesus had chosen them, but, but a couple of honest fishermen, it's, it's understandable, but, but choosing a tax collector to be part of the team was crazy. Matthew may have been a sinner with a capital S, but who really of those disciples wasn't a sinner with a capital S? And we can take that a, a step farther and say, who here today really isn't a sinner with a capital S? You see, there's no such thing. The scripture doesn't make a distinction of sinners with a small s and, and sinners with a capital S. It doesn't make it a distinction between some who have gone astray a little bit and some who have gone astray a lot of bit. It doesn't make a distinction between those who are a little lost and those who are a lot lost. We have all gone astray. We have all sinned, and we are all lost because of it. Do you know why it is that Jesus calls sinners? There's nobody else for him to call. There's no one else for him to call. We get into all kinds of trouble when we begin to make judgments about who is worthy of being invited into the family, who is worthy of being called to follow Jesus. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's worthy. Jesus doesn't call worthy people. Jesus calls whom he chooses to call, and he makes them worthy. This is the gospel, friends. He makes unrighteous people like you and me worthy. And he does that by taking our capital S sin upon himself and giving us his capital R righteousness. In Christ, you are righteous, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus' call of Matthew is unexpected, Equally unexpected was Jesus' desire to go to Matthew's house and have dinner with all of Matthew's friends. The scripture says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. You see, the Pharisees are asking the disciples a question that the disciples are also asking. Why is our master why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? And so Jesus answers the question that everybody is asking by saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. 
You don't become a doctor to work with healthy people. You become a doctor to work with sick people and help them become healthy. Jesus came for sick people. Jesus came for capital S sinner people. Jesus knew his mission, and he wasn't going to let the expectations of the healthy people, of the righteous people, hold him back from his mission. You know what the Pharisees would have been really pleased with? If Jesus had rounded up all of Matthew's friends and then really laid into them and let them have it. I think that would have put a smile on the Pharisee's face. But that verse that we love, John 3.16, about God sending his son because he loved the world, verse 17 is beautiful. He said, I, I did not come to condemn the world. He could have done that. He would have been just to do that. We're all unworthy. I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus said that to his first disciples. He says that to us. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the minute we as a church are no longer good news for sinners, the minute we're no longer good news for capital S sinners, we are no longer the church that God has intended us to be. Praise God that he delights in mercy. Praise God that he excels in mercy. And praise God that when love comes to town, lives get changed. Join me as we pray. Uh, Lord, as um, we hear Matthew's story, I, I hope we hear a little bit of our own story. Lord, uh, we know that there's, there's nothing in us that is, is worthy, that has earned your grace, has earned your favor. But Lord, you excel in mercy. You desire mercy. And you've poured out mercy on our life. And we pray that you would make us a people, that you would make us a church that excels in mercy, that loves mercy. And we pray through the power of your mercy, through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, that you would bring the transformation that's needed in all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.